Today's episode of the Heart of Giving podcast is part of a special series we call Made by the Bay. During these episodes, we get to feature amazing people in the Bay Area who are shaping the social landscape of that community. We're grateful for the generous support of Tipping Point Community for making these episodes possible. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor, and today we are recording a very special podcast. We're going to talk about something that happened positively as a result of COVID. And it occurred out in the Bay Area. And as you know, there's a lot of good things going on out in the Bay Area. Um, But the Bay Area doesn't always get credit for it. You know, I think a lot of times lately we look at the Bay Area and we only focus on the money that's being made out there. You know, we think about all of the very wealthy tech startups and the amount of investment that seems to be going there and we tend to forget that there are also people out there who are working in the community to try to make sure that those who aren't as positively impacted by tech are also able to thrive and so we're going to talk today about one such initiative as i said before that just came out of COVID. It was just some brothers just getting together, uh, just checking in on each other. And then something happened. Something happened in the environment that affected the entire nation. And we all stopped and paused and lamented and tried to learn and grieve and figure out what we could do to actually make the situation better and to change our nation. And that, of course, is the death of George Floyd. And here to talk with me today about how this COVID coming together and George Floyd's death shifted the nature of the conversation that these brothers were having is my good friend, James Walker. James, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. And I want to hear your story. I want to hear what you were thinking when you guys just started getting together and where it's evolved to. Sure. First off, Art, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity and love what you're doing, man, getting the word out for people. So you're a hero. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You said part of it, COVID 
came about in, you know, March of 2019, 2020, excuse me, everything kind of went on lockdown status, uh, particularly at least in California. So remember the date, it was like March 16th. Everything shut down. It was a desert, nobody on the freeways, nobody going into work. And everybody figuring, trying to figure out like, what are we gonna do? Um, how are we gonna move on? How are we gonna live our lives? And so our community, at least the community that I'm a part of, brothers started to get together. And we said, hey man, let's just get together on Fridays, you know, happy hours, six o'clock, and we can have cigars and bourbon. Let's just a way to connect and try to maintain some level of normalcy with all of the craziness that was going on. And so we started in March and we went faithfully every Friday getting together and conversations would, would range. You know, a lot of times it was all about having fun, jokes and games and some serious conversations in there. But then, as you mentioned, July, when the George Floyd uh, murder happened, uh, I want to continue to say that murder. Yeah. Once that took place, it really shifted our conversations as as men, as black men. We went from all the fun stuff to talking about our own vulnerabilities, how we felt about what happened and why is this continuing to happen? We started to talk about what we aspired for for our children. We started talking about reparations and defunding, if you will. Um, and so the conversations really, really became very, very layered. And it dawned on me as we were talking, like, what if somebody could actually hear what we're talking about? What if someone who had decision-making power about where funding could go, that had decision-making power about policies that could be put in place, had an opportunity to get a glimpse of the perspectives of the brothers that were, uh, you know, on these calls? Not that it was the end-all, be-all in terms of perspectives, because there are a lot of perspectives in there, but there would be varying perspectives to, to, to listen to. And so I reached out to a foundation and shout, shout out to Tipping Point, uh, who was brave enough to say, hey, we'll give you a shot to kind of think through this. Give us a paper. What do you think you, you could do with this? And so, yes, you know, brother Sam Cobbs. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Sam. And he's always kind of thinking ahead, but said, yeah, James, run with it. What can you do? And so I started to bring these brothers together and say, hey, man, what, what could we create? What would a space look like? What are the things that would be most valuable to us? Um, and there were a few things that after about six months of meeting, we identified there were really a, a couple of areas that we wanted to focus on. One was being able to capture information in some type of documentary format that's mm -hmm. made by African-American men, that's unscripted. Um, that is uh, not curated to the, the public in a way where it's safe, but it's, it's real. First of several excerpts from The Game, A Sand Project. Well, cool, brothers. I'm so happy we can be here today. This has been a long time coming. It's been a long day just to get to this point uh, today, but we're finally here. Thank you all for coming out. Um, just again, just as a preface of what this is all about, uh, the SAM Project, we want to bring brothers together and have real conversation about issues that are germane to, to black men, African-American men, mm -hmm. and be able to share the information with the world. Hopefully that it will provide context to others as allies. It will 
give affirmation to us as black men in terms of we're not by ourselves in some of the things that we right. might feel, uh, some of the perspectives that we might have about things, and also maybe provide solutions mm-hmm. to some of the issues that affect us. And so today we're talking about COVID and, and how it impacts our community, but more importantly, what do we need to be thinking about and doing as black men to protect our, our communities, our families, ourselves, as it relates to this, this virus? So, you know, um, why don't, so I guess we, we, we talked about developing this kind of concept, and we'll James, talk a little James bit more Walker. about that. But the others were also looking at creating a repository of information for men, whether there are programs out there that are working well. Maybe a brother's going th- gone through an experience and want to share what that experience is like, knowing that there may be somebody else out there that is going through a similar experience. So talking about creating community art, right? Creating a safe space for brothers to be them authentic selves and not uh, have to fear persecution for being vulnerable. Um, And then the last, last component of it was to think about how we could bring brothers together from all walks of life and expertise to, to come together and, Create a think tank, ideate, you know, concepts that will address issues around systemic oppression, racial oppression. And so if some people can liken it to like an Aspen Institute, except it's the brothers doing it. Right. And so those were kind of the three concepts that came out of this. And we call this project now in its totality, the Sand Project, which gives some homage to the original folks of this world or where they originated in kind of sub-Saharan Africa. And so we use that name because that culture there has existed for thousands of years. And we have too. And although we're here in America, we have been able to endure all that's happened to us. And I think holding on to that name was one way to kind of put it out there. Tim Waters is here, and he is the president of the board of the DEAL program. And I want him to talk about what DEAL does and how it connects to the SAND project. Tim, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you very much, Art. Glad to be here, sir. Tim, talk to us about the DEAL program. The DEAL program is a program, it's actually it's an organization, it's a 501c3 based out of Oakland, California. DEAL stands for Developing Educational Approaches for Life. Our focus is specifically on uh, African-American men, both of all a range of ages, I'll put it like that, a range of ages, including youth, emerging young men as they emerge into life, and those of us who have a few more gray hairs than uh, we want to think about. And it's really putting programs together that truly give them a voice and address their needs. To that end, the connection with SAN the SAM program is a program underneath the auspices of DEAL that is focused, again, specifically on African-American males and providing a direct sounding board from African-American males so we can tell our story as opposed to other folks necessarily telling the story for us. Let me ask you about the SANS project in particular. Now, when I talked to James about this, he was suggesting that some of the great things that came out of the the project has more to do with serendipity than what was planned. You know, he said we were planning to just get together to 
look after each other, just to check in on each other as a result of COVID and having to be locked in. But then something more interesting happened, which is that you guys began to talk about different issues. And from that came this project really that now is trying to elevate young people in that community. Would you talk about that a little bit and how you saw that evolution? When James first thought of and created this idea, to your point, he brought a diversified set of folks together, some that I knew already, educators, some in the legal field, some in the, uh, several, I believe, in the academic field for discussion. And it was a recognition, again, working with James and a crew probably about, I think our first meeting probably about six to eight brothers sitting in convening via phone and in my backyard to talk about what do we do for us and how do we render, what are the issues that we're facing collectively and how do we expand our voice and provide a platform by which we can express those issues, talk through them just through dialogue to mitigate some of the internal pieces of it, but then also what kind of actions can we take to give those voices, black male voices life, which historically from our lens and the team's collective lens, uh, as I said, a diversified team does not always happen where our messages, our, our requests are filtered through different vehicles. And so it's really James's concept that we all embrace was for lack of a better term, that taking control of our messaging ourselves. From that, we talked about, well, what's the platform? What's the path to make that happen? And the, the idea was, well, let's have various topics that we discuss and just discuss it with varying points of views and lenses and again, cover areas of mental health. What do we do with relative to families? What about civic engagement, things like that? And then be able in various these buckets, so to speak. And then how do we communicate those in a manner through a, I think James refers to it as a Jeffersonian roundtable where we all then can get together and chat about those. Again, doing it in a visual way, doing it similar in podcast form that we can directly get that message out and start engaging folks, people who can, who are willing and desirous and to move our, us forward in a very direct manner. That was the, that is not was, that is the purpose of SAN. So I would argue that right now we're in the early phases of really talking about topics. Our first one was about health and well-being. It's centered around COVID situation and very specifically vaccination, not vaccination and different perspectives turned out to be a very, very rich conversation in that area. And you had, as they like to say, kind of both sides of the perspective of it. I had a different perspective about COVID because I used to live in China right before it hit. And I left China in maybe July, July 2019. And I still have a lot of friends in Guangzhou where I used to live. And then December 2019, I was seeing crazy videos on Instagram 
from my friends back and going to jail and, and then I would uh, DM them and say, what is this? What is this? <laughs> this is... I mean, videos of, of cops chasing people, videos of people in the street kind of dead. Not kind of dead. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah, just, let's just yeah. get that. Wow. And I'm saying that. And, but then I'm, I'm also in America. I'm like, Okay, I'm not really, you know, tripping sure. about it. Sure. And but then, like in February, they all my friends have to leave. I had friends South, from South Africa have to go back to South Africa. Friends from Taiwan have to go back. Friends from like all like from Nepal, from the Philippines, they have to go back. Wow. I'm like, I'm like, well, what is going on here? So like. I knew it was about to hit, but I didn't know it was going to hit. Hit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you live, we all, we're all American. And we're protected. We have the best defense system in the in the world. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is us. But then it hit when we had to leave my job. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. didn't return for a while. So mm-hmm. that was ca- kind of how it hit for mm-hmm. me. Steve, you, what, what about you, man? You yeah, I, uh, it, it sounds like what he's talking about is sort of the dissolution of the community. You got a community of friends. And yeah. I, I work as a public school educator in Oakland, and I was actually at a school site when they announced it, and it was surreal. I saw the emotional reactions from all the teachers. I read other people's reactions sometimes to get a better understanding of what's going on. And just the way it affected the school leaders, the teachers, and to see their raw emotions, something that was really scary. And the suddenness of it all is what stood out for me because we immediately shut down the school district. Mm. And that's a Herculean task, even to think about all the knobs that have to be turned to do such things. You know, you immediately think about community coming apart. Yeah. And that position that it put parents in right away, that's when it sank in for me, is this changes things permanently. We have to send these children home now and they're not going to come back, and we don't know when they're going to come back. And that was that was. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. And there's been a lot of people doing things of all walks of life, but to think about how you can take just a conversation that was basically just checking in on each other, and then going to the next level with it is not something that everyone would automatically think about. And so what I want to know is a little bit more about you. Can you tell me and tell our, our watchers, our viewers, a little bit more about you? What was it about you that said, you know, I'm going to take this on because I think it's important. I think people need to know about it. Give us a little bit more about your background. Sure. Uh, well, I think <laughs> um, I would start with I grew up, as many of us, have on the shoulders of giants, people who came before me, who set the path that were uh, freedom fighters in their own right, whether it was just because they made sure someone had a meal or who were engaged in politics at a local level to make sure that there was equity in community. And so I grew up seeing that and in in, in the Bay Area. So again, I'm, I think, yeah, born in San Francisco, and grew up in Oakland. And so I've been around it my whole life. Um, and so in my mind, there's always been a calling to me that there's more to do, that I have an obligation 
to give back. And so I've dedicated my life to doing that type of work in a variety of fashions. So after you know graduating high school, going off to college and uh, attending UC Berkeley, I was a student activist there. Even, you know, I can think back to the Rodney King acquittals. Our student group, we led our protest at Berkeley, shut down Bay Bridge again to say, let's bring light to this situation. And so it's always been in me to activate community. I love our community. And so it just hasn't left. I hope to pass it on to, to others that saying fire to, to try to do it in a way that's constructive. Uh, where we don't necessarily have to tear down things to build up or reconstruct. So, you know, I don't think we can just do away with the institutions that exist. They are, they are here. That said, we can work to restructure them. And that's a very different conversation. And so when we talk about this idea of activism, I think it is a, it is a response in a lot of ways to inequity and injustices Mm -hmm that may exist and a rightful response. Someone steps on your foot, it hurts, there's gonna be a response. What I wanna make sure is that we're having conversations that are strategic in nature, Mm -hmm. that we're really looking at how do we dismantle these systems. And it's, again, not overnight, but where can we do the most work, get the best bang for our buck? Today, next week, next month, next year, but that we have a plan around that. And part of that really requires that we have to, we have to engage those folks who are at the table already and say, hey, if you, if you really are saying this is what you want to do, here's where we need to fit into this. Here's where we have to fit into this. And I believe there are some goodwill people out there. I don't believe the world is all filled with, with demons, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we have to make sure that people understand what their roles in it. Um, but we have to make sure that we have a solid plan around that, that to your point, that is plural, that takes in everybody's thoughts to make sure that it's, it's as solid as possible. Yeah. As I mentioned, with the documentary piece, we've, we've labeled it the game. That's what we call it. And we, we, we chose that vernacular because, you know, we kind of learn in our community, like, Hey, teach me the game, show me the ropes, right? And so we use that terminology to talk about these conversations because we're, we're gaming each other up. We're sharing information and, and learning from one another. Mm-hmm. And so the conversations typically happen over, you know, we get to break bread together, have libations together or what have you, and, and have these discussions. So the clip that you're going to see is actually from our first series, which is all about COVID. And kind of what's been our response as African-American men? What did we think about, you know, when COVID hit and what, and how have we navigated that? What has testing been like? What, what happened with communication and messaging around COVID for us? How do we think about that? As you said earlier, what do you do when a tough situation comes? How do you take advantage of tough, oppor- you know, tough times to make an opportunity out of it? Over 79 million people in this country have been infected with with, with COVID, right? And just so, in this country. Yeah, just this country yeah. alone. And so you you think about the the magnitude sure. uh, uh, of that that number, right? Um, at one point it was 100,000 people like a day, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we right. I remember seeing numbers right. like that. And so I mean, I guess part of that for me is I I was very worried about what that meant for us mm-hmm. and is this a mm-hmm. death sentence 
people were were passing away so quickly. How, how did y'all feel like when you started to see those numbers and, and go up and just the number of fatalities around? I was hoping something like this was asked. I didn't mean to jump in. I'd really like to share this, and this this triggers something. There was something that I really did not like that I still don't think I've gotten over. I felt like the mainstream media, I felt like it was an incitement of the population. It was a ticker at the bottom of the screen. Mm -hmm. How many people have died and been infected every day, and I didn't like that. It felt like a level of inhumane treatment. So we're numbers now. We have to hear a certain amount of numbers before we pay attention. But I noticed that the news just really seemed like they were alarmist in a lot of ways. Uh, given the COVID numbers, three and four or five times doing one news segment. And, and that left a really bad taste in my mouth. To, to this day, I, I didn't like that. I felt it was less concerned about the actual uh, tragedies unfolding, communities coming apart, people being concerned about what's going to come next when, when people can't go to work. But you have the news steadily every day wanting us to pay attention to the ticker. And I thought that was traumatic. With that said, though, when you, well, again, for me, I looked at home and East Coast, New mm-hmm. York, and mm-hmm. the numbers just exploded there so fast. Mm-hmm. It was, it, then it became personal in some respects, just thinking about what's happening to that state, sure. what's happening to the city, the concentration. And to your point, the videos that they would have of how many bodies or we're waiting in the parking lot. Right, and couldn't right. Even but that was, that's when it hit, hit home too. It didn't hit me that it was going to spread so fast across the country. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of it in the first few months, it seemed like it was very East Coast centric. And yeah, then the way it started coming yeah, out yeah. here. Interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking too, the media, you know, they, they always have a narrative and their angles. Right, right, but right. With our hospital... Uh, infrastructure, we weren't, they weren't prepared. Right. So they got to distract you somehow with something, right? So if we give them the numbers, then we won't be talking about what Tim talking about. We don't have enough beds and Absolutely. resources right. to Absolutely. help the sick right. and the shut in, right? And, and we're supposed to lead the nation. Correct, That's right? And, and they feed off of fear. So now we are getting guns because we don't, we don't really have enough information. Sure. Nobody really knows what's going on, sure. right? So we're going to give you some numbers. We're going to show you some, some geographical locations with a high effect of, yeah. you know, yeah, of mortality. And so we get these numbers, you're mm-hmm. watching the news. Fear mongering. F- fear, right? Create that fear, create that narrative, and mm-hmm. then we're going to respond. I always say we fall back on our training, right? So you're going to respond <laughs> to according to your training of life, you know, <laughs> right. having been right. in a dire situation before, you know? Sure. It wasn't yeah, the pandemic, sure. but how did you grow up? Sure. You know? Are you a survivor? Yeah. So to yeah. speak. And that, yeah. I think that kind of sets your mind state and your mantra that. for or when you are you in those type of situations, whether it's pandemic, sure, any homeless, situation. homelessness, yeah. whatever the case may be, you know, it's all a, a way you could die off. Let me just say to you, James, I am just so thrilled, man, that you've taken this on. I'm, I want to continue to wish you continued success with it. And I want to keep checking in with you, too, just to see if there's anything I can do to make sure that the work continues and it succeeds. So. Thank you, Will. Appreciate it. All right. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. 
The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.